Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Becky Brown. I'm one of the associate pastors here at First United Methodist Church in Waynesville, North Carolina. You're about to listen to the sermon from worship this week. You can also watch this service online through our YouTube channel. You can just search FUMC Waynesville on YouTube or join us in person at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. every Sunday. Thanks for listening, and we hope this sermon challenges, inspires, and invigorates your faith. May God bless you. It was Christmas Eve, 1914. It was just five months into World War I, and already approximately 800,000 soldiers had been wounded or killed. And then this really strange thing happened on the Western Front. This story has been told and retold. It's been made into movies, advertisements, and songs. Um, there's a memoir written by one of the British soldiers, um, a, mach- a machine gunner named Bruce Barron's father. He talked about how he and his comrades were in the trenches, and they were just shivering from the cold. It was miserable. There was muck. Um, and the, the trenches were just three feet deep. And, and three feet wide. So they were, they were crouched in there and he said just days and nights, just endless cycles of, of sleeplessness and fear, uh, stale biscuits and, and cigarettes that were too wet to light. Uh, he writes in, in his memoir about um, the misery of just being soaked through and through and covered in mud and hundreds of miles away from home and realizing that there was a good chance He was not leaving that place unless it was in an ambulance. Well, about 10 o'clock that night, um, they began to to hear singing uh, across the battlefield. Uh, The German soldiers were singing Christmas carols. And it it wasn't long until uh, British soldiers in their trenches started singing Christmas carols too. And then he recounts, suddenly they, they heard a noise across the battlefield that was this this confused shouting. And uh, a, a German soldier speaking in English with a strong German accent starts bidding them to come over, like, come on over, come on over. And there was some, some hesitancy at first, but they ended up meeting in the middle. Like, soldiers on, on both sides began nervously coming out of the trenches. And they end up in, you know, the razor wire... Uh, guarded middle of the battlefield section known as no man's land. And normally the British and the the German armies are communicating with bullets. (laughs) But now there were handshakes. There were words of kindness. They were exchanging stuff like songs and uh, sweets and cigars, tobacco and, and wine. It was like this spontaneous party in the cold of the night. They even played soccer. Uh, They they found a a diary, a journal in 1999 in an attic near Leipzig. It was the the diary of uh, a German lieutenant from the infantry. And and he talked about this pickup soccer game or football game that uh, that happened. Um, The British bring a soccer ball out of the trenches and they just start playing. He said the Germans won the game, but then it turned into this kind of kick around where over a hundred soldiers were just hanging around and, and, and participating in this. Bruce, the machine gunner in his memoir, he's like, I couldn't believe it. 
like all of a sudden they were just all there, actually with uh, the German army, the German soldiers. But he said there wasn't an atom of hate in anyone on either side. Enemies were acting like brothers. This Christmas truce, like it continued into the next day. Neither side was willing to fire the first shot. It's, it's reported that uh, the, the commanders from both armies, uh, they were horrified by this. And so the war resumed because these, these top commanders you know, gave orders that this kind of spontaneous truce, it could never happen again. Uh, they said that uh, fraternizing with the enemy would be considered treason, punishable by death. So in our text, Jesus gives a command to his followers. It's Thursday night and the air has become increasingly more difficult to breathe. It's been a rough week. Uh, Jesus is teaching. It's been controversial. It's been hard to understand. And it's been downright scary. He talked about the temple being completely destroyed. And when someone asks for clarification, he launches into this doomsday speech. Like there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, there will be earthquakes and famine and plague. You'll be arrested, you'll be persecuted, he said. Uh, some of you will be betrayed by your own family. Some of you will be, will be put to death. You'll be thrown into prison. It was crazy. There will be this great distress on the earth. You will be hated. Everyone will hate you uh, because of me. You know, people will fall by the edge of the sword. Uh, people will be taken away as captive uh, to all nations. He says Jerusalem will be trampled. I mean, like, it's the language of world war. It's no small thing, and it's Passover, the great religious festival, and the priests, they're scheming to kill Jesus. And, and so Jesus takes his place at the table with the disciples as they celebrate the Passover meal together, and he says, I have been eagerly desiring to, to share this, this Passover with you before I suffer. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is what's going to happen to my body. He lifts the cup of the Passover meal and he says, the covenant, it will be made into a new covenant through my blood. Then he says, someone here will betray me. So it's like there's a spy at the table. And he says to Peter, Satan is going to sift all of you like wheat. And when, when Peter tries to give some kind of defense about his allegiance to Jesus, Jesus blows that off and says, Peter, you're actually going to deny ever even knowing me. Right? The air is thick and it's heavy. And then Jesus gives this command. That's surprising to us, but it actually 
might make some sense to them, I think. Um, Blessed are the meek, Jesus. Let the children come to me, Jesus. Uh, Turn the other cheek, Jesus. Love your enemy, Jesus. That, Jesus says, you all need to go by a sword. What are we supposed to do with this? Jesus followers with weapons. So I was stopped at the, the red light by my house and the guy in front of me had this big sticker on his window and I was so fascinated by the sticker that as, as soon as I, I got home I went into the shed and I, and I sketched uh, the image. It was uh, an image of the, the Holy Bible and right next to it a nine millimeter handgun. The caption was, you need to know how to use these. I know how to use both. As I stared at this little sketch that I had drawn, I began to think about what the Bible has to say to the gun, wondering how my theology impacts the conversation. I, I remembered uh, starting seminary, an experience that I had. The, the supervised ministry group um, was meeting. It was, first, it was the you know, kind of the first day of class type situation. And so we started with introductions. And you know, I, I said, Hi, I'm Keith. I'm from Cherokee, North Carolina. I've just married Chan. Uh, I told him that I love to run. I love backpacking on the Appalachian Trail. I like to hunt, I love to fish, you know, things like that. Well, our supervisor, a barrel-chested German theologian, uh, Dr. Manfred Hoffman, like he jumped at the opportunity and he zeroed in on the fact that I owned a gun and uh, talked about um, my need to have this kind of power the kind of power that can take life. I'm sure I had this dumbfounded look, my eyebrows raised, my mouth gaping open, like I didn't quite know how to respond to that. So in a heavy mountain drawl, I said, I don't really know about any of that. I do know that fried squirrel is amazing and that squirrel gravy on my mama's homemade biscuits. Mm. I didn't know what to say. I like to hunt and fish. But I know that I touched a nerve. Like, there was passion in his voice and, and a fire burning in his eyes. I mean, gun violence is a big problem. Uh, it's, a, it's a big problem in our country and it's, and it's extremely divisive. But we can't be afraid to talk about it. Like, we need to talk about it more. We don't talk about it enough. Even though we disagree. Like, I know we disagree. But regardless of our convictions on it, I know that um, we are all disturbed by the violent headlines, by the mass shootings that just seem to increase every year. I know that we all wish our politicians could come to 
some kind of agreement, find some kind of middle ground that would, would make a difference. But it's so big, like we feel helpless. What do we do? What does our faith in Christ compel us to do? I sit in my shed and I'm staring at the little sketch of the Holy Bible and the nine millimeter handgun. And you know, I, I realize that my Bible can be used as a weapon too. Like I, I have to hold it well. I have to hold it carefully. This command of Jesus to go by a sword, like it's actually used as a proof text by a lot of people uh, to justify uh, violence uh, in, in self-defense. But is that really what Jesus is saying? Like he, he asks his disciples, remember when I, when I sent you out and, and I said, don't take a, a, a purse or a bag or sandals? Like, did you lack for anything? No, they didn't lack for anything. And they said so. And they didn't lack for anything because the people took care of them. But Jesus is saying it's different now. There's not going to be that kind of hospitality. You are going to be on your own. You're going to have to, to rely on your own resources. He says, I am being treated like a criminal. And you're going to face the same kind of danger and the same kind of threat uh, that, that I'm experiencing. Like most scholars agree, when you, when you take the commentaries off the shelves and you try to make sense of this, this command where Jesus says, go and buy a sword, um, it's like there's, there's, more, there's more irony in this. Like Jesus isn't um, getting ready for uh, an armed insurrection or an armed revolution. Uh, he's trying to prepare his disciples for this changing time, the difficulty that is really on them in, in that moment, um, you know, and they're in this, in this world of, of confusion and, and trying to understand, and, and I think uh, they really have a hard time understanding exactly what Jesus is doing. He's warning them about persecution. He's, he's not preparing them for a revolution. You know? and, and one evidence is too, you know, um, Jesus in our passage, he quotes the Old Testament, but he doesn't he doesn't appeal to those um, holy war passages in the Hebrew Scriptures. No, he actually quotes from uh, Isaiah 53, which is one of the, the suffering servant texts. You know, that uh, he poured out his life. He will be counted among the transgressors. Uh, and he will do this for the sins of many, for the sins of the rebellious. That Christmas Eve in 1914, I think that the deepest longings of the human soul were on display. Like, what do people ultimately want? Now, this might be a bit too romantic, but I, mean, I think people just want to live good days, you know? We want to love and to be loved. We want to laugh until it hurts. We, we want to live lives that have, 
have meaning and purpose. You know, I, I want my life to, to count for something and have, have that deep purpose and that deep meaning. I, I want to, uh, to belong and, and have meaning to somebody. I, I think that you do too. You know, Jesus said that the great commandment, the most important thing that I can do with my life is not just love God, but to also love you. But this is the thing. God's great dream for us, like it's stained. It's stained with all kinds of sin and greed and and, and self-interest. And and all this stuff that blinds me and, and that keeps me from seeing other people that, that are right in, in front of my eyes. Like we know that something is wrong. And we know that something is wrong with us. And Jesus does too. And so the good news is, is that he really does go on the offensive. That Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when... Uh, the mob shows up with Jesus' betrayer. They're there to arrest him as a common criminal. And one of Jesus' disciples draws a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant. She screams like, enough of this. The disciples put away the sword and Jesus heals this bleeding servant. God's response is not the way of the sword. God's response is the way of the cross. That's the path Jesus takes. And that's the path that leads us to this table. On that night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he says, this is my body which is broken for you, which is given for you. Take this and eat it in remembrance of me. And he blessed them with it. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of a new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take this as often as you can in remembrance of me. And so, uh, in remembrance of Jesus, in remembrance of these mighty acts, we come to this table and we pray together. Oh God, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on those of us gathered here in this space. That you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine that each of us has prepared. We pray that you would make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. O Lord, make us one with your spirit and one with each other. 
and one in ministry until everyone comes uh, and when you come uh, in final victory, when we're all together feasting at your heavenly banquet. Lord, help us with this. You have called us to this. And we ask these things in the name of Christ who has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you and for me. And this is the blood of Christ, the cup of our salvation, given for me and for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.